So he's asked me to wrap up uh, the sermon series, Making Progress, uh, talking about uh, what we're kind of bringing to a conclusion all the things that we've been looking at over the course of the last few weeks about how you and I can take steps in our faith, regardless of what's happening around us in our own lives, circumstances that are caused by our own doing or things that are happening in the world around us that are out of our control, how you and I can make progress to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And we've looked at Peter's letter here to a group of Christians in Rome. These Christians were facing uh, the most horrific persecution known to man under the emperor Nero. And so their circumstances were far worse than I think anything we could ever imagine for ourselves. And we've learned a lot from this, and today we're going to see how we, we can go to war against Satan. Uh, the sermon title, Militant Faith, is going to, we're going to give you some, some weapons, not literal ones, but figurative, spiritual weapons that you and I can, can use to fight back against Satan. And the, the best illustration that I can think about to start this off is, is what I've learned over the past 12 plus years of living in Southeast Texas. Uh, I, I've learned even this morning there are four parts of East Texas, I only thought there were three, but I was told there are four. Let's see if anybody knows the fourth one after I say the three. So the first part of, of, of East Texas is Northeast Texas. That's in the Northeast corner of Texas. It's where my wife and I both grew up in small towns in Northeast Texas. There's East Texas, and that's between here and Northeast Texas. But I learned after the last service, there's also deep East Texas. There's like deeper woods like Nacogdoches, Jasper, St. Augustine. That's like deep East Texas. So there's four parts to East Texas, but those of us that are in Southeast Texas, every May, uh, we start seeing on social media, we start seeing on the news, the warnings or the, the, the cautions to be prepared for hurricane season. And hurricane season runs from about this time of year to October, late, late October, early November. And some of you uh, were living here in 2008 before I moved here and you got to experience Hurricane Ike. I did a little research on Hurricane Ike this week and learned a little more about it than I already knew. But the thing that struck me the most about Hurricane Ike was how long this far inland was without power. Some people up to two weeks without power, some longer than that in more rural areas, but the, the average was in, in Conroe proper was a week to two weeks. Like I, I like panic when the power goes out for like 30 minutes, you know, like what's gonna happen, you know, but, but you start heeding those warnings to be prepared for hurricane season. You gather things like a couple jugs of water, maybe if you're a little hypervigilant, you may have like cases and cases and cases of water and batteries and flashlights. You may have a portable generator. You may have installed a whole home generator. I know in our neighborhood, there are quite a few of those. So during the freeze a couple years ago, they all started firing up. And every time the power goes out for about 10 minutes, you start hearing them kick on. But the weathermen in our area, the emergency services in our area, the county, the county offices, the county judge's office, every, every time of year, Around the 1st of May, you start to see those warnings. Be prepared for hurricane season. Have a small stash of things at home if you're stuck there. Have some things that you can take in your car, especially if you're closer to the coast and you're asked to evacuate or you're forced to evacuate, you can get a little further down the road in that. And we're, we're challenged because we know that at least this close to the coast, especially the last few years, it's not a matter of if a storm comes, it's when it comes and how bad will it be. I don't know about y'all, but I never want to see as much rain as I saw in August and September of 2016 when Hurricane Harvey parked itself right over Southeast Texas. Uh, and so as we think about being prepared for a storm that is coming, I want you to know this morning that as Christians, we, we need to be prepared for something that we know is coming our way. 
Some, for some of us, it's not even something that's coming our way. It's something we're facing right now. See, once we become a Christian, and certainly as we take steps, as we make progress to grow to be more like Christ, we have a target on our backs. And Satan is aiming everything he has at that target, trying to harm us, trying to hurt us, trying to distract us, trying to keep us from doing what it is that God has called us to do, trying to keep us from being more obedient, more faithful followers of Jesus Christ. He's doing everything he can to do this, and he's doing it really because he has nothing else to do. He's already lost the war. He's ar- God has already won ultimate victory over Satan through Jesus Christ, but Satan's doing everything he can to win every small battle he can. So that way we don't want to share the hope that we have or we, or, or we falter and we can't share the hope that we have. And so if you truly desire to make progress in your faith, if you desire to live out personally, and if we as a church family desire to live out collectively, live out how the body of, how God desires us individually and as the body of Christ, how God desires for us to and how God demands us to live our lives, we have to know that Satan is going to attack us. And in response to those attacks, we have to have a militant faith. But it's not the kind of faith that, that Peter rolled into the garden with and pulls out a dagger and, and, and cuts a guy's ear off with. It's not that kind of faith. It's a kind of faith rooted in what Jesus Christ has already done for us. And it's the kind of faith that, that Peter, once he grew and once he made progress and once he learned what it meant to have his faith rooted in the hope of Jesus Christ, we see some words from him in 1 Peter chapter 5 that I think help give us some weapons to fight against Satan with today. So if you've got your Bible and you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to read verses 6 through 11 and, look, and then look at three weapons that you and I can use to fend off and, and fight off the attacks that Satan throws our way. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6, he writes, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever amen so what are those three things in these verses that we can arm ourselves with against satan now the first one is this we must be humble we must submit to god and i think we must submit to one another and peter touches on three different areas of our lives where we may be asked to submit to one another uh, previously in his in his letter uh, earlier in, in First Peter, he, he calls on the Christian people there to submit to the government. Uh, don't do anything that's sin, but submit to their authority. They're, they're, they're over you, and, and, and for them, it was a much more even different circumstance than we're under today. The government was out to kill them. The government was out to imprison them, to torture them. And yet Peter's saying, submit to the government. He also calls on those that were Christian slaves in this era this time in the world, to submit to their masters. And then he re- reiterates that uh, the husband as the leader of the family and the wife submits to the husband. So he's, he's outlined a few different ways in which, in which we relationally submit to other people. 
But in verse six, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And I think that as we submit to God and we submit to one another, we do this. We exemplify what Philippians chapter two describes as humility. Looking not on our own interest, but to the interest of others and taking on the, the, very, the very person and likeness of Jesus Christ. And the best way that, that I think humility, true humility can be described and kind of summed up from Philippians chapter two is this. It's not, it's not that we think less or little of ourselves, it's that we really truly think not of ourselves at all. That our mindset becomes what does God desire for me and what does God desire for those around me? You know, this church, we have a vision that we would engage in 10,000 transforming relationships by the year 2030. And as you engage in those relationships, whether it's someone that God has called you to share your faith with or someone that God has called you to disciple to help them become a more, a more obedient, more faithful follower of Jesus, or whether it's somebody that you're mentoring or somebody that you're helping meet a need in their life, you're doing that not because you want to, but because God has called you to make a difference in their life. And God's put them in your path so that you can be a light of Jesus Christ to them. And so you start to think about other people, not in terms of how can this relationship benefit me or how can this be good for me, but, but what does God desire for me to do for them? And we begin to live out and walk humbly uh, with God and walk humbly with one another. And imagine what can happen if a, a group of people, this many people, five to 600 people just in this room over the three services today, if we said, we're gonna go out into Conroe and Willis and Montgomery and Montgomery County and, and Houston where we work and in our neighborhoods and we're going to be a people of humility. We're going to submit ourselves to God wholly and completely and we're going to submit ourselves to one another. Imagine what a difference that would make and then the second thing that that Peter writes for us to do is to be alert. Verse 8 he says be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering you are, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So as we are alert to what Satan is capable of and what he's doing around us, not just in our world, but in our own lives, I think several things happen. One is we begin to understand just how dangerous Satan is, and we can respect him, not for who he is, but what he is, a threat to us and a threat to our potential growth and, and making progress to be more and more like Jesus. And so we understand, as we understand that he's dangerous, we begin to see that Satan's best tool is deception. The way that Satan wins with us is he gets us to think something is true about ourselves or about someone else or about this world, and we begin to live and walk in that. But as we funnel that, that deception, that lie through God's word, through the time that we spend in his word each day, the way we store God's word in our heart, in our heads, we begin to see that, you know what, that's what he's telling me, that's not true. That's not how the world needs to operate. That's not how I need to, to, to be in friendship with someone. That's not how I need to respond to my boss at work, or to my teacher at school, or to my friends, or my neighbors. I need to respond the way that God's word says to, and the way that Jesus would respond to someone if he was in that situation. So Satan's best tool is deception. He's the father of lies. But we know that scripture teaches us that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Jesus is the one who declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if we know Jesus, those of us in this room who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we know the truth, but it's up to us to be obedient, to live out and, 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 and walk in that truth and be set free from the lies that Satan puts in front of us. And then also as we're alert, we're able to resist. 
Just like being alert and being ready. See, it's one thing, it's one thing to be prepared for that hurricane that might be coming. It's one thing to have all of those things together. But then if you're not paying attention to the forecast and knowing that, okay, one is really coming and it's coming your direction. If you're not alert to that, you can't then, you can't then put those tools to use and protect those. You know, along the coast, when a, when a storm comes in, stores and homes will, will board up their windows and do everything they can to keep the glass from breaking and other damage from being done in, in that. And so as you begin to take those same steps in your faith to resist all that it is that Satan has to throw against us, know that, that we have some weapons at our disposal. We have some ways we can, we can actually, on a daily basis, resist him. And the first is the time that you devote to spending in God's word each day. Uh, so I would encourage you, if you're not spending time in God's word each day, to start a minute, five minutes. If it's five, shift to 10. Spend time in God's word, know his truth, store it in your heart and store it in your mind so that you can respond. And then know that also we can pray. We can ask God for strength when we need it. We can go to him and ask him for the things that we need, but also we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. So we have three powerful tools, powerful weapons at our disposal uh, to resist him, to stand firm in our faith, and to know that we're not alone, that others around us, maybe in this church, in this community, and certainly around the world are facing the same temptation, the same distraction, the same attacks that Satan is, is giving us. So we be humble, we be alert, but we also be hopeful. And Peter kind of closes his time here with us and with his audience by, by focusing on the hope that we have and the glory that God has called us to. In verse 10, he says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we see these things that, that God promises to do in our lives. He promises to restore us, to perfect us, to mend us, to make us complete thoroughly. He promises to confirm us, to settle, to consolidate, to lay a foundation. We've sung about that foundation this morning, that our foundation will be placed on Christ and that our lives will be built on the truth of who he is and what he's done for us. We also see that God promises to strengthen us, that when we feel weak and we feel like we can't fat back and move on, God provides us that strength that we need. The same way you can water a wilted plant and 20 minutes later come back and see its stem and its leaves liven up and its, its color come back and its dried kind of crispy wilted state come and its fresh new lively state show. And then you see that the fourth thing that God is, will establish us and what Peter means by this is that he's going to be pointing our, he is pointing our lives as believers in a certain direction. And that certain direction leads to an eternity with him. Verse 10 says, the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. There is a direction that all of us as believers are headed. We might not walk that path perfectly each day, but as we, as we grow to be more like Christ, we get closer and closer to that time when, when we're made complete and whole with him. And as we see and we read about this hope, we need to know that the person writing these words experienced these things firsthand after he, in some of the darkest moments in Jesus's life, near and around his death, Peter, the one writing these words, the one providing this encouragement for a group of persecuted Christians in Rome, 
had been restored after denying Jesus three times. He'd been given an opportunity to identify with Jesus. No, that's not me. You're Peter, one of his followers. No, that's not me. You're confusing me with somebody else. Don't, don't you know Jesus? No, I, I, don't, I don't know him. I don't have anything to do with that man. And yet the same man, Peter, writing these words, you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, and Peter was restored, was confirmed, was strengthened, and was established. And the church in Rome got to hear these words, and the church at First Baptist Church in Conroe in Texas got to hear his words this morning. And so know this, Satan's storm is coming. If it's not already here in your life, it's coming. And so three questions to ask yourself this morning are this. Do I need more humility? How can God make me more alert to what Satan is doing around me? Is my hope in the lasting promises that God has for me? Uh, but maybe this morning you're like, Alan, I, there's not a storm in my life. Satan doesn't care about me. I, I don't know Jesus as my savior. There's not been a time in my life when I've, I've told God, like I, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to be my savior. And so Satan's not paying any attention to me. Maybe this morning you, you, your, your step, your, your progress that you need to make as we close this series, Making Progress, is the first step, the step of repentance, acknowledging that you're a sinner and desiring to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe that's the progress that you need to make today. See, as believers, we know about the glory that is to come. No matter what Satan may try to do to us, no matter what, what happens in the world around us, God's victory has already been won, and this world is not the end. So for the believers in this room, we know that to be true. But I would challenge you, don't keep this news to yourself. As you and I are making progress each day to become more faithful and obedient followers of Jesus by staying humble, by staying alert, and by staying hopeful, I hope that we all inspire and encourage many around us to experience the same hope that we have in Jesus.